Nando's. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Good Friday, Sandos and the sidekick getting you ready for an exciting weekend of football. This is the Wofford Terriers coming to Green Stadium. And I don't know why I punished myself, but I went back and watched two years ago. And man, the uh, situation where I think it was third and 15, 16, something like that, uh, in a seven point game, looked like ETSU was going to force a punt, get the ball back. Wofford ran a tall sweep. Nobody's home. 48-yard touchdown run. <laughs> so they're going, ah, oh, back break. Then ETSU came down and scored. And then that was the fourth and two. Juwan Stinson uh, tripped up at the 22-23 yard line. Yeah. Uh, is it a yeah. trip or a slip? What are we officially going with? I, I don't care. I, a lot of people were saying the, slip at the time. That's The 20-something yard line got him. Now, right so, yeah, exactly. I mean, some, got him, right? something got him that he would have had five yards. And, boy, Wofford was just gassed at that point in time. And. Boy, that's you could start to see a little bit that year because it was a game against Wofford and the Citadel, I believe, where ETSU sort of coming down and, and needed a fourth down. And the Citadel one, though, was in ETSU's territory. They, they didn't convert. But you could start to see some of those fourth quarter coming. You could see a little bit of the DNA taking shape there. No doubt. I mean, Citadel 31-25 in the SoCon opener at Green Stadium. And then the next week, the overtime winner from Austin Herring mm. to Juwan in the Stinson. slot, Juwan Stinson, 25 yards, 26 to 23. 25 yards, good night, I believe, was the call that is in the open. That is from that Mercer game uh, to the show. Then you had the touchdown loss to Wofford, uh, the pretty convincing 24-6 win over VMI, so that doesn't fall into the category. But then, of course, the final game of that year, Chattanooga, 10 to 3. Pretty forgettable, except for the fact that it was a one-score game. So you're absolutely right. People talk about the last couple of years, mainly you and me, about the one-score games and how I think there's like nine of them now or whatever. But there were four that year, too, so I really shouldn't be able to overlook that either. Yeah, I think you started to see some of that, though, because the I mean, I know they won the Mercer game. There were a couple more that they, they didn't come out on the, the right side of. But still, you, I think you could start to see because there were some fourth-quarter, you know, sort of – not heroics because they didn't end in wins in some instances, but there were a lot of opportunities for the Bucks. It could have laid down, you know, 14, uh, 10 points, 14 points. They were able to put points on the board, had the ball back again to make those drives. And just and, and now I'm maybe looking at that, it has opened up to maybe how last year sort of worked out for ETSU because a lot of the same guys, minus Jawan Stinson, I mean, a lot of the same guys when I was looking on, you know, who made catches, you know, Hunter White made a uh, few catches, Kobe Kelly had some catches in there. So there are a lot of the same same guys that have made some plays. Well, right if now. you want to go back even further, we were 4-1 in 2016 in one score of games with wins over Kennesaw State, Western Carolina, Cumberland, and Sanford. 
So, I so, mean, it really does. So, so, basically, what you're telling me is you really, really get your money's worth when you come to an ETSU game. Absolutely, and you can do it again this Saturday. All right, this Saturday, 3.30, Wofford Terriers. Uh, I'll tell you a couple things that, that I've learned going back and watching. Uh, number one, I forgot they had all five offensive linemen back. Yep. And now that they've made the commitment to go back to the run, man, they are dominating the uh, line of scrimmage and open up some big gaping holes. And this is, this is a little more the Wofford attack that we saw last year. So it's a lot of shotgun, still all the three-back principles, and they're getting the wide receivers in the run game. That's different than what you would have saw two years ago from Wofford. And even still, last year they went under center quite a bit. Not this year. It's a whole different look. It's a, a lot more maybe how Furman lines up and, and different looks, but they just run it completely different. So I, I think that's the first thing that jumped out to me. Then on the flip side, the defensive line, missing a lot of guys. I mean, uh, one guy's playing for the Arizona Cardinals, Miles Brown, who I think Austin Herring said on this podcast that he's the only guy he sought out after a game to go shake his hand and tell him how much he was glad to not see him anymore. You'll hear from him next segment. It says basically he's one of the best players he's ever played against yeah, Miles so, Brown. I mean, there, there you go. So Miles Brown, they lose him. Uh, Thad Magnum is a, uh, Mangum, I'm sorry, is a guy that was expected to play a lot. He's out. Mikel Horton is also out for the year. So those two guys alone, and then even threw Brown in it, they all averaged about 270 to 290, give or take, somewhere in there. And now you look at that starting defensive line, and they've got a a red shirt um, freshman, 6'3", 285, pretty good size. But the other one's 6'3", 218. And then you got a 230-pounder in there as well. So it, it just a, a little bit different. And they are starting to get dominated a little bit uh, on the line. And Wofford has never had to run blitz. And I've been shocked by watching them have to run blitz against VMI uh, just to try to somewhat slow down Alex Ramsey. And then they missed an assignment. And Alex Ramsey actually rattled off about 60 yards on one carry, and he finished with 207 yards. So I think ETSU can have some success on the ground. The question is, though, Mike, are they going to be able to have success in the air? Yeah, it's not impossible to run against this team. Sanford and VMI both got over 150 on the ground. I don't think anyone would disagree that ETSU's rushing attack has much better weapons than either VMI or Sanford. And if you remember, Randy Sanders was a mad genius when it came to Austin P in that game plan. You know, they had size inside and so his plan there was to do screens on the outside do some runs off tackle do toss sweeps and really make sure to avoid the strength of austin p if you go right at him they were allowing what 43 rush yards per game entering the contest against etsu the bucks more than tripled their output there uh in terms of the amount of yards they put up versus what austin p was allowing so i think this week it's going to be etsu just running straight at wofford because they do have that size mismatch. Just go right downhill at them. So, And Randy Sanders, you know, is going to devise schemes like he did against Austin P to expose a weakness. I think that's a huge key this week is to look at that between the tackle running. Use Quay Holmes a lot. We know Sailors is much more the on-the-edge type back, the screen type back, as we saw against Austin P. So feature Quay Holmes a lot. I'd love to see 20 or 25 carries from him. All right, I did see VMI and Sanford both use the screen game nicely uh, to combat so some of the Sailors, things. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think you, you can go sort of inside out with that the back end the linebackers and the back end uh, still very good for Wofford I think they lost Jojo Tillery in the secondary but they basically moved up who was getting all the nickelback reps as now starting corner so literally all four guys are on the back end so I you know Wofford's still formidable opponent the the other shock defensively that jumped out to me when I looked at the red zone defense teams are 13 of 14 it's 93 percent 12 touchdowns that's 86 percent I went back the last three years in 2018 teams were 76 percent in the red zone period 65 percent of those went for touchdowns 
2017, they were 80% in the red zone, but 62% were touchdowns. And an amazing 2016 run, only 63% of the time, 31 of 49, did teams even score in the red zone. And 61% of those were touchdowns. 29 of the 31 were touchdowns. But they're giving up uncharacteristic numbers in the high nine or in the 90s for touchdowns and 86 when, generally speaking, they've been 65, 62, 61 percentage of touchdowns in the red zone. I think the red zone is going to be big on each side of the ball. You mentioned Wofford, 13 of 14 scoring chances they've allowed. ETSU has not stopped an opponent in the red zone the entire year. 16 of 16 are opponents against the Bucks in the red zone. Only Western Carolina can say that they've given up a score in every red zone trip as well. Also 16 of 16. But then look on the other side of the ball. In those two games against South Carolina State and Sanford, Wofford was 5 of 7 in the red zone, including a 17-play 66-yard drive in which they got to Sanford 7 but turned it over on downs and couldn't get the game-tiring score after that 10-plus minute drive. So two times they did not score in the red zone, but in their wins over Gardner-Webb and BMI, of course, the South Carolina State and Sanford games, the losses, the two wins over Gardner-Webb and BMI, nine touchdowns and 10 red zone opportunities, and the other was a field goal. So they are a perfect 10 for 10. Red zone going to be where this is decided. I think one of the areas, certainly, if you get down there in your Wofford's offense, you seem to go one way or another. Can you punch it in and be the Wofford of old and the Wofford that's been of the last two games, or do you have struggles like you did in the last two games or the previous two games, the first two of the year? Yeah, you know, I think ETSU's feeling pretty good about where they are um, offensively moving forward. Uh, you know, they scored all uh, t- or twice, the two times they were in the red zone, one touchdown, one they did have to settle for a field goal. Now, certainly they need more six points. That's been a bugaboo for ETSU offense the last several years. Get to the red zone, having to use J.J. German too much. And I'm glad J.J.'s the all-time field goal kicker, but I'd have liked it if he wasn't, right, if he had just been the all-time extra point guy as opposed to – uh, field goals and I'm sure probably JJ would want that too right because that probably means you're winning more football games so I, I think the red zone is the first thing I'd point to special teams is the next one I was going to point out to you Mike I think uh, Randy said it after the game you know we got to find ways to get something going in a return game well Wofford hasn't had a punt that's been fair caught all year they give up the most kick return yards of any team in Southern Conference Teams have the best starting field position against Wofford off kickoffs because of that. Teams are averaging a little bit past the 30-yard line to start every drive. So even if you you know, you know took a knee, you obviously get 25. Most teams are averaging right around the 25 because there are coaches that just say, I don't care where the ball's kicked. Give me the ball 25. I don't want to return it. But for teams that are looking to do returns like ETSU, they've got a chance to maybe hit a few big returns on the kick game and might actually have a chance to see Malik McGue uh, field a punt and maybe be able to do something with it because Luke Carter isn't a guy that, that has hit big, booming punts. It's going to be fair caught. They have been returnable kicks for the opponents of the Wofford Terriers this year, so we'll have to see how that plays out. And Randy Sanders has just been imploring his team to block better the entire year for Malik McGue for the returners both in the punt and kick game, and over the last two games you've had one punt return yard. He talked about post-game last game, how ETSU just got field-positioned to death in that loss. Uh, So ETSU really needs to, moving on from that Furman game, turn that area of the game around, without a doubt. For me, I look at third downs and comparing those two losses that Wofford had to the two wins they had. They had third and 11-plus five times against South Carolina State and Sanford. They went... 0 for 5. That shouldn't be shocking. They're not built for those third and very longs, and neither are a lot of teams, but specifically Wofford. Then against Gardner-Webb and VMI, they had zero third and 11 pluses in the wins. 
26 of 48 are Wofford on third downs, 10 yards or less. That is far and away the best in the league. They are at the top of the league, even if you include those five third and 11 pluses that they have not converted. They're converting at almost 50% in third down. So Randy Sanders talks about it all the time, situations. We've talked about the red zone. We've talked about third downs. And, of course, he's harped on special teams, as you are. I think that's an area that ETSU finally gets a chance to maybe flourish in. And, you know, it seems like the last couple couple games they've just played, you know, teams that, that's got strong punting games. But what also helps is teams are punting around midfield. Right. So I think ETSU's offense has to do – and they did a much better job at Furman. They still – there was a little bit low in the second half where, where Furman was right around midfield a couple times. And one of those was off a fumble. All right, one of those uh, sailors on the third down trying to make a play, trying to stretch out for a first, loses the ball. Furman takes over ETSU territory. Bucks actually push him back a couple of lossy yards, and then they, they forced a punt. And then it was uh, the punt that obviously didn't go real well from ETSU's end zone. It led to the, the miracle 40-yard pass. It led to the eventual game-winning touchdown. So there's a couple of things there, but I think ETSU has, a, has its best chance to maybe match special teams for special teams. And with those third downs, just to track back to that for a moment, Billy Taylor said in his pre-game conversation with you that will air Saturday, 2 o'clock pre-game, Buccaneer Sports Network for the 3.30 kick, he talked about first and second down and mainly that first down, winning that to be able to get a couple negative plays, put them behind the sticks a bit, and they just haven't been good, as you see in these stats, when doing so. So it puts the emphasis more on those early downs. Yeah, it's nice to get third and 11 plus against them, but that means that you really have to step up and make plays specifically on first down. And he talked about with second downs, you know, if it's second and five, second and six, it's really going to be a long, long day or ETSU's defense, and they haven't had a lot of long days over the last couple of years. So you'd expect Billy Taylor to maybe scheme some things, bring a lot of bodies. You know what you're going to get. And he talked about the eye discipline. It's something he brings up every week with you. Eye discipline being a big thing against these option teams. He likes that we're playing an option team back-to-back with another, with it being Furman and then Wofford. Of course, Wofford wants to keep it more on the ground where Furman wants to throw a little bit more. And you held Darren Granger down in the throwing game last week, just 6 of 14. They're probably not going to throw 14 times Wofford. It's been... I think 7-7-8 seven, seven, and eight, or 8-8-7 eight, eight, and seven over the last three, just 23 combined attempts. So they're a bit different, but they're also very similar. He thinks that helps, so that should lead to a higher success rate on early downs, at least you'd think. You would, and I think the confidence level for the defense, the last uh, three halves of football have to be incredible. I mean, what they were able to do the second half, Austin P, uh, the, the whole game against Furman, you know, I think it's it's hard to hold anybody under 200 yards what they normally do for a season, you right. know, unless you're talking maybe the first, second game of the year. But once you get a little bit of a sample size, four or five games in, if you can hold a team under 200 yards what they're normally doing, I think you're you're dialed in. I think Wofford has a little bit of advantage because they're going to have tape on what each issue is going to do. So I'm sure they're probably thinking of wrinkles, and that's sort of the chess match. Also, I'm sure Billy Taylor's thinking what kind of wrinkles can he throw out because, again, Wofford runs it differently um, from different sets than what Furman did. But it is a good point. That does go both ways. Oh, absolutely. They're going to have more tape on ETSU because just last week you faced an option team, so their offense can do a little bit of different things that they want. Yeah, that's why uh, it was Randy said. That's why they call him Coach, right? right. That's why they, they call uh, Coach Conklin uh, that. That's why he's got the title. He's a smart guy. Didn't get the head job for not figuring that stuff out. So there'll be a chess match there, filling out process. He's going to do what? I think the other interesting thing, like we mentioned when we first started the, the podcast today, you know, third and long is – that's not a pass down always right. for Wofford. They're not afraid to run something and get you in, you know, a sub package or a recon, I think is what Coach 
um, uh, Billy Taylor calls his group, which is, you know, when you bring in the extra couple rush ins, they bring in Middleton, they bring in Porter, they go try to run the quarterback. They bring in usually Tyler Murphy to be an extra sort of cover outside linebacker if need be. So they bring three, four guys in in that special third down long passing situation if they're going to throw it. Well, now you really can't do that because ETSU did do that a couple years ago, gave up a touchdown on it. So you've got to be weary of that and still have enough discipline to know, hey, third and 18, third and 15, they may not throw the football they may actually try to run an option play and see if they can't hit a big gainer and that big gainer can set up a fourth down which they're very good at converting if they get to fourth and two fourth and three you might just see them go for it six out of seven in fourth down conversions this year that's 86 percent that leads the SoCon I think with that running game regardless of when they're running at first second third fourth down don't take away Joe Newman take away everyone else and talking with Jim Noble yesterday it was interesting to hear him say well I think because Joe Newman is so good at making those decisions at the line maybe you have to take him away rather than everyone else which is counter uh, the counterpoint really to what you'd usually do against an option team but I kind of like staying with the philosophy of take away everyone else and let the quarterback do what he wants because he is so locked in right now 349 rush yards in the last three games for him he's making excellent decisions at the line of scrimmage everyone has said that including coach Conklin that again you'll hear on the pregame show my chat with him starting at two on the Buccaneer Sports Network so he's going to do what he's going to do but South Carolina State and Sanford in those two defeats of Wofford allowed just two other rushers outside of Newman to get 60 or more yards eight different rushers by the two teams that lost and got kind of boat raced by Wofford, Gardner, Webb, and VMI. Eight others outside of Newman in those two games combined that gained 60 yards or more. If you can shut down those guys, at least that's what's been the case this year, you're going to have a chance to stick in. You're, you know that Newman probably isn't going to run the ball more than 15 times. What can he do with those 15 plays? Sure, maybe he'll average 8, 9, 10 yards a carry. But if you're able to take away everyone else, I don't think you're going to be DTSU's defense with one man. I don't think so either. I, I think the one thing that Wofford will, will do, which is exactly what they do, they, they will run multiple guys in there. They have uh, a couple different you know, running backs. You know, it used to be the old B backs and the A backs and some slot. Basically, the slots are now the, the wide receivers. Demario Van Cleve, TJ Luther, the Speed Demon uh, receivers that, that will come in motion and get, you know, they've utilized the jet sweep more. They, they're using those wide receivers as a pitch man more. Uh, then, of course, they have a two-back set it's sort of to the right and left of the quarterback and the shotgun Joe Newman so they run uh, four or five guys in those roles so it's really just you know whoever's in the game at that time you know again it's more about system than the player where where you know ETSU does have two different guys they got Quay Holmes they got Jacob it's just different the way you know it's just plug and play for Wofford the one thing I'll say they are dangerous is on that first down you know they they've five six seven straight runs boom 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 getting near midfield like a lot of option teams that's really try to lull you they they fake the fullback dive then they maybe sprint out then a step back throw deep down the field and it has worked for them a couple times against Gardner Webb it certainly worked a couple times against VMI so they can hit you there but there's an element of surprise there you know they like you've said already they're not a drop back third and 15 you know, let's run to the sticks on, on some dig routes and comebackers and outs and, and throw it right there. That's really not anything that they are good at. And they're not been, you know, since, what, 1988, I think. Yeah, Mike Ayers took over in 88, put in that offense, and that's how it's been ever since. So, you know, it's worked for them. They won a lot of games. They won a lot of conference championships. And I think Wofford is going to be offensively who we thought they were, if I could quote, uh, you know, Denny Green for you, the late Denny Green. But I, I think defensively is where the game is going to look a lot different. I think ETSU should have 
success running the ball against Wofford in which they traditionally have not had success running the football and I'm curious to see how that changes the dynamics of the game if they game plan it right I think that that is definitely the case and I don't think you necessarily even need to have an exceptional day passing the ball if you just game plan right and run straight at them I think there can be something between the tackles and then with the screen game off the off the edge out towards the boundary because they will be like you said they're going to be blitzing a little bit more perhaps they're going to bring some extra bodies if you can catch them in one of those and hit them on a screen that opens up a lot of the field so 29 of 52 with three interceptions for opponents against Wofford in wins so that's in wins you've had three interceptions and a completion percentage right around 53 54 I don't necessarily think that you need to have a big day through the air here's the one thing I'll caution and I'll be done talking about all these games that Wofford's played so far but they've scored touchdowns on their first two possessions each of the last three games now the difference was against Sanford the Bulldogs then forced four straight punts and a turnover on downs after that and that was their seven drives the Terrier seven drives throughout that game two touchdowns four punts and the turnover on downs deep in Sanford territory Wofford scored touchdowns on five of their next seven against Gardner-Webb and their next three possessions against VMI so those games obviously over pretty quick ETSU's defense is not one to panic it's not when to go back to the sideline, hang their head, and oh, we're down 14 nothing, or we're down 17 nothing, or what do we do now? That's just not their makeup. Billy Taylor's not going to allow that to happen. They're a veteran side with great players at every level. I don't think that you're going to see that from them, but again, with an 0-2 record in the conference, you don't want to let any thought that these next couple drives, if you're talking about after the first two or three from Wofford, these could decide the season, start to pressure yourselves and then have a game like a VMI or a Gardner-Webb did against Wofford's offense. It'd be interesting to see. There's a lot of things that are going into this. I think this is uh, uh, the best opportunity ETSU's had against Wofford since uh, football has been back, and I think they could have success running the ball. I think uh, special teams is another area ETSU could be successful. And then again, can they get Wofford off the field? You know, third down conversions, like you were saying, if they get them off the field, you know, I think that's going to be a key in the red zone. Which defense is actually going to be able to stop somebody in the red zone because neither team has been particularly good at it? Just make sure that they're in third and 11 plus one or two times. That's going to do so much for the entire flow of the game because if Wofford has their way, it's probably going to be seven or eight possessions. That's a quarter of their possessions that so far this year they have not been able to convert on a third and 11 plus. So if you get them in situations like that, then as they've shown, it's a 0% success rate through four games. That's a pretty good number for me and for ETSU's defense. We'll step aside for a timeout. When we come back, we will talk to Austin Herrick. We'll get his thoughts. He certainly played a few games against the Wofford Terriers. We'll get his thoughts on that in this game coming up this weekend. Right after this timeout, Terrier Worm Sandhill Sidekick of the Bucket Air Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Cake, beer, cake, beer. Quality, quality, quality. Soon to be Continental MVP. Cake, cake, a slice of cake, cake, beer, beer. Um, yeah. Well, I guess my first question for you, Austin Herrick, is 
have you heard yet? Are you a Continental MVP? September 30th has passed. The date that we were told was going to be at least the next round deciding who is going on to like the elite committee, the overlords of the Continental MVP voting uh, over in Europe for your time with the Vienna Vikings. It's past September 30th. Is the statue complete? Have you gotten an email with pictures of the statue? Have you received your championship belt? I'm, I'm kind of confused as to why we haven't heard yet. Um, you know, I, I did hear, and it was, a, it was a text message. Wait, you did hear? I did hear, Okay, yes. just, to, just to be clear, this was not a, something we talked about before. I was under a complete impression that there was no possible way that the answer was going to be yes to this. So I, I did hear, I got a text from my mother uh, on Monday saying, um, you didn't make the cut. Oh. And uh, I had no clue what she was talking about. Right. I didn't know that she was talking about, yeah, I thought it was my mother, like, disowning me. <laughs> w- what's going on? And so uh, You're out of the she, family. Wow. then I got a text that's saying I didn't make the cut for uh, the next round of the voting. So didn't make it to the final round, but it was cool to, to make it to that part. So I, I guess I'm not going to be the Continental MVP. Can I ask why she was the one that informed you? Shouldn't there have been more of an official thing here from Kiki over at the Vienna Vikings or, like, the committee themselves? Somebody I'm showing, I'm guessing, this is how I'm picturing it, showing up in a white van, opening the door, pulling you in, and saying, Austin, we're going to drive around for 15 or 20 minutes and give you some details. And then, like, they flash the men in black pen to right. make you forget it all. But the information, and maybe that is what happened. Maybe they did flash the pen. That's maybe. why I don't remember. Right. But the point being, they would communicate that with you in a very rough-and-tumble fashion, and then you'd be thrown out of the van at the end. Um, no, I, I don't recall that happening, but Not you know, I can't confirm or deny. I really don't even know if I got the, the, the magic pen there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was just my mom. She sent me a text. I guess she was, she was staying up to date on that stuff. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, I am not the Continental MVP. I'm sorry to hear that. It hurts. You doing okay? Down. You know, it, it's been a rough week, but I think I can bounce back from it. I can see the pain in your eyes, though. Deep down, I know that, that – in the hearts of all the uh, the Buccaneer Nation, I'm their Continental MVP. That is correct. And that's all that matters. As long as I can get a picture with you next to the statue on the third floor in the Hall of Fame, that's going to make sure to seal your memory in my memory that you are an MVP for the ages, no matter what the league, no matter what the level. Yeah, I'll take that picture with you awesome. by the uh, sidekick uh, <laughs> statue up there. Uh, How is your subordinate? Kobe Kelly isn't here. Uh, did you kill him with those 4.30 a.m. workouts? Uh, you know, I regret to inform you that Kobe did not make the past two 4 a.m. workouts. Really? So, so actually, it's 5 a.m., but yeah, he, okay. he, did, he didn't make it. So, Are there uh, disciplinary actions considering the structure that you've established within the quality control department? I think there's just kind of a known thing like, hey, you know, you, you really didn't pull your weight this morning, mm. but, but it's okay. You know, I, I see where you're coming from there. Is he doing okay? He's doing well. Okay. Yeah, he, he's, he's done great. It's been good to have have him around certainly uh, lowers the, the workload, so the quality is up. Wow. You know? The control is up. Yeah, the yes. quality is being controlled at a much higher rate, which is good because it seemed like – it didn't seem like the quality was spinning out of control, but it seemed like the control was out of quality when it was just you. I, I no mean, offense. No, it, it's hard to be quality when there's so much quantity. See, that's exactly what it is. You were stretched a little bit thin, and therefore the quality that you bring – was not quantifiable. I think that's fair to say. Uh, speaking of quantifiable, uh, Brett Favre, what do you know about him? Pretty good player. Pretty good player. Yeah, some would say. Yes. Uh, 
I'm going to go back to Saturday, and it was a loss, unfortunately, for the Bucks, 17 to 10 to Furman on the road. Uh, personally, uh, let me just get your thoughts before we get to this Twitter-related item, because I know you're not on very much, and so I want to keep you up to date uh, on the chatter surrounding Austin Herrick, because since your legacy does have long-reaching effects, there is still plenty of it on Twitter. Uh, your thoughts on that Furman game, I still am pretty satisfied leaving the contest knowing that the Bucks were, I think, 17-and-a-half-point underdogs. Right. Certainly every possibility throughout that second half to steal the game on the road, pull that upset, and really, I think, upset the order of what a lot of people had envisioned in the league. A lot of people had Furman as the league champion, uh, at least after the first three or four games. So to me, there's a lot of things to be excited about. I get it's not a W, but it's the closest thing to it in my mind not to be all moral victory. Right. No, I, there are no moral victories. I, Coach says that a lot, but I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, it was frustrating on Saturday and, and the next day to review the film and see how many missed opportunities we had. I think Furman's a, you know, they're they're kind of the benchmark right now for the for the league. They're one of the best teams, if not the best. And so, you know, to go up there and, and play the way we did, um, you know, that is good to see. We obviously wish we would have won, and I think we, we could have won. Uh, there were some plays that I think we wish we could have had back, and, um, you know, that's just kind of how the – how ball is sometimes but the main takeaway I had um, was I, I think we're start we're, we've gotten to the point if we hadn't already where everyone around the league knows when you come to play ETSU it's going to be a ball game I think for a few years there um, we were kind of you know the homecoming game so to speak for some teams and and they felt like you know that it was kind of an off week playing us and I, I don't think that's the case anymore I think everyone knows that hey if we don't come and play our best game, we're going to get beat by ETSU, and they're, you know, certainly formidable um, in our conference, and I think every team knows that. So we, we've gotten to that point as a program, and I know that makes me uh, and and the guys who helped start this program feel really good because we're we're getting there. You know, we're not where we want to be yet, but we're becoming one of those teams in the conference where year in and year out we're going to compete for a conference title and you know speaking of that we still have a chance to do that this year that's very much a real possibility last year at this time Furman was one and two in the conference so um you know I I look forward to to the rest of this year and I think this team is continuing to grow after playing in these close games were you overwhelmed underwhelmed or equally whelmed by Darren Granger uh to me I think what ETSU was able to do defensively has a lot to do with his, I guess you'd say, quote-unquote, poor play. 6 of 14, 99 yards, had the, I guess, head-scratching decision is what I would point it to uh, of that Artavius Smith interception where he threw it into, like, there's no one really around except uh, ETSU jerseys. You can see Tyree Robinson, my favorite moment of the game, is him running with his right hand up as the ball's being intercepted, and he had that hand up running around the end zone about 20 yards before Artavius Smith <laughs> made the interception. But uh, Darren Granger's performance on Saturday, what you thought you'd get or a little different, and am I on to something that a lot of that was ETSU's performance defensively? Yeah, I, I think – you know, internally we were pretty concerned with him. He, right. He's a dynamic player, and what he had shown up to that point this year was, you know, just tremendous play. And I think our defense, you know, played really well. That that was not surprising because I know what they can do. But to see him actually go out there and do it against an opponent like Furman gives me a lot of confidence in them going into the rest of the season. 
So I, I'm with you. I think that had a lot to do with our defense. Um, and I think he's a heck of a player. He's a guy who you're going to see um, first-team all-conference, conference player of the year, and things like that um, through the rest of his career here in the SOCON. And, um, you know, maybe even longer maybe him going and playing at the next level and a guy that only in my estimation has played about 20 actual games at quarterback because he was in a car crash when he was a receiver in high school didn't play quarterback till his senior year that's what 12 or 13 games if you make it pretty far right into your state sections or to the state tournament or whatever and then last year the four games he played before he redshirted right and then what four games this year yeah <laughs> i mean a lot of experience to, to watch him in warm-ups right. he looks as legit as they come. I, I, I mean, he was one of the biggest players on their team, and he could throw the ball um, exceptionally well. You know, and, and I was just watching him in shorts and a T-shirt. So, And then you know what he can do when he has the ball in his hand. So um, it was uh, – I, I came away very impressed with him physically. So I, I can't wait to watch him going forward as well because he's a heck of a talent. If it were me, I would be bitter that I've played well over 100 games at quarterback in my life like you, and he can play 20 and look pretty good. Now, I'm a very vindictive and, uh, I guess, self-centered person. Now, you are not the same, I don't believe, so you probably take this more in stride than I do. Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a high-rep guy, which means i, I got to – do a lot of reps to be halfway decent at something <laughs> so and I, I realize there's some low rep guys out there like uh, like him so uh you know kind of come to come to terms with that and uh you just got to know your role and know your strengths and weaknesses and, and roll with it so uh yeah I, I saw that and I was like man I he's a heck of a player and um it, it, it's good to see that because it, it's good to have players like that in this league you know you've got the the guy at uh, western carolina who's pretty dynamic and he's graduating and getting ready to leave so this is good to see, for the league to see another player like this i give you a hard time of course because naturally it will even itself out in this segment and, and here it will tweeted out from at buck sports radio the buccaneer sports network twitter account as we do every week coach sanders post game quotes and he said quote right now I feel like we're a much faster, more physical team this year than we were at this time last year. The record may not say it. We have to find a way to win the close games. And uh, at the LaForce, who's Buccaneer through and through, as are most of the people involved in this Twitter conversation, says, this isn't coach speak. He's right. He subtweeted this and said this. We have a better team this year than last. Just missing a decent passing game. Our passing wasn't great last year, but it got the job done. And then Kyle Colvett, again, bleeds blue and gold. Herrick was just a dang gamer. Tough and smart, did so many clutch things that don't show in stats. The LaForce says, then says, very true. Gamer's the best word to describe him. If we switch QBs with Furman today, ETSU wins by three touchdowns. And then at Village Terrier, who I'm pretty sure is a Wofford fan, a pretty hardcore Wofford, Wofford fan, but has always liked you, going back on Twitter and looking, says FCS Brett Favre. So some high praise there. Uh, now you got LaForce. Kyle Colvett and Village Terrier all in on this conversation. Um, I know you're not going to say that the Bucks would have won by three touchdowns going to Furman if you're a quarterback and Trey Mitchell is not. Trey Mitchell, people have to remember, is still learning how to be a college quarterback. This is something that gets so lost. There's a lot of talk about Cade Weldon, a lot of talk about Chance Thrasher. Trey Mitchell's in like his fourth start. He redshirted last year. He's a freshman. Like People just are not patient and I get that's the nature of our society right now and I get that with the championship last year that uh, you want more but you had 42 or 43 I can't remember I counted this up the other day on a I think it was a 102 man roster 43 redshirt juniors seniors or redshirt seniors last year 
and this year the number is completely flipped and then some where it's a freshman and a redshirt freshman 59 of 105 so again we we knew that this was going to be the case uh but FCS Brett Favre was my main takeaway of this for you. Now, I'm not asking you to say anything about the other tweets, but FCS Brett Favre, Austin Herring, your take on that. And I'm imagining you're quite complimented by this thing. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. I think it may be a little aggressive. I think he's got one part right that you mentioned last week. You know, Brett Favre threw some interceptions, and I certainly had more interceptions than touchdowns last season. So maybe that's what uh, he was referring to. But, um, yeah, it that – that means a lot. I mean, I, I'm flattered that I get compared to a guy that tough. And, um, you know, he was a low rep guy. He could just go out there and sling it. I, I don't know that I could do that. But I did. I will give myself credit and, and bounce him back up from some hits and things like that. So, yeah, that's cool. But I think you bring up a good point with Trey because I, I did see some stuff about Trey. Yeah. And, you know, it, Trey's, a, Trey's a competitor. And he's going to he, – he'll figure things out. And, you know, I – I, I certainly wouldn't want to be judged by my first, you know, six or seven starts because those weren't very good. I think, in fact, in those starts, I lost to or we lost to some uh, D three teams. Um, Only it, one, I think, right? No, it was two. Oh, we it was had two. Uh, okay. Maryville, Emory, and Henry, Emory, and Henry. Oh, okay. So yeah, tough to forget those from from this end. But <laughs> but yeah, you grow, you, you grow, and, and you learn from mistakes. That's one thing that happens a lot in, in football you see a coach get fired and forever that guy is remembered as you know the job he did when he got fired but I think every human being would say when you fail you, you typically learn from it and you come out on the other side better so who's to say that um, you know the things that, that have happened so far in the season you know, he may learn from that and become a better player and more experienced player as the season goes along and you know that's just part of playing it's part of being in those situations I, I ended up you know being fortunate to be a part of some comeback victories and things like that but you know started off early in in football being back here we lost a lot of close games and like you said it it takes experience and we it certainly wasn't just me we Dylan Weigel and Austin Gatewood and all those guys made some very clutch plays on defense um and Kobe Kelly who was here last week you know, he he made some clutch plays and just had he was just such a crafty player and that comes from experience and so we've got all those young guys who are building uh, those skills and you know, gaining that experience to eventually make those plays, it just takes time, and hopefully it comes as the season goes along, but it'll certainly get there you know, when it needs to get there. And according to Kobe Kelly, your touchdown-to-interception ratio would have been much better if it wasn't for him going down inside the 10-yard line. According uh, to him, I, his I, words. I always give Kobe uh, <laughs> you know, a hard time about that because – I. I don't know what it was. It seemed like every time he got the ball within the ten yard line, he just wanted to go hit someone instead of go score. I'm like, hey, you know, we got to put it in there. But uh, well, now that you have the chance to manage him, you can. Put yeah, all yeah, of I'll the take that out on now. No, exactly. but Kobe was a guy, and to to his credit, he was he was tough as nails, and he could catch balls over the middle that a lot of guys probably wouldn't even try to go get. So. Uh, he definitely raised my completion percentage up a little bit. Great comments, very insightful, especially from someone inside the program, and uh, I think someone from a first-person perspective has experienced so much within the program, but I'll tell you this, you're not getting away from this Brett Favre comparison so easily. Uh, I want to start with a couple things that I think are similar, 
Uh, Brett Favre played 299 consecutive games, most in NFL history. I'd say you're a tough guy. You took some big hits throughout your career, and now you didn't have the chance to play 299. But if I'm to match you up against Brett Favre, I'm not sure if you're both given 299 games that you come up that far short of 299. I think you're hanging with them for a lot of the way. So if I hadn't had got uh, beat out in camp, and let's say I did start those games, um, that would have been every single one, right? In your every career? single one since my junior year of high school. So that would be probably, and, what, 70-ish? And so you bleed that into Europe, we're pushing 100. Wow. Um, so I think that's pretty spot on. You know, and, and I, You're not saying, you're just saying. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. <laughs> no, so I don't know. That's, a, that's just incredible luck. That's uh, good fortune from the man above. But I think... You know, it, there was a lot of a lot of hard work put into you know trying to stay on the field, and you know, obviously, sometimes you got to play through some pain. Well, which is task number one that a lot of people overlook, and certainly when you get injured, I think you start to focus a little bit more on that. And certainly, you took your knocks, and some people I just don't think appreciate that as much as they go through their careers. And you valued your time in the field, yeah. obviously, which is why you're able to do that. Uh, you each have one championship. Yes, Brett Favre. Well, Super I don't, Bowl think, he, 97, I don't I think. think he shared that Super Bowl, so I'll give him the nod there. <laughs> uh, he was fourth in passing touchdowns in NFL history. Now, I think we're starting to diverge a little bit here. Yeah, we're, we're going. You're bringing up the stats. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want statistical comparisons. Uh, he was sacked 525 times. Now, this is your chance. I can, your one I can, and only I, chance I, to throw I, your offensive line under the bus. Go right ahead if you want. No, that that may be the one stat that I, I may be pushing Brett on. You know, <laughs> I, I took a lot of sacks. I held on to the ball a little too long sometimes. So, so yeah. Two receptions for negative seven yards. Do you ever catch a pass in your career? I did. Um, it was my junior year. I can't remember which game. I threw the ball, deflected. I think it might have oh, been. Oh, was it back to yourself? Back to oh, myself. Yes. Um, and another Kobe Kelly tie-in here. Um, against Jacksonville State, the last game, we had a play where I was going to catch the snap, throw it to Kobe. He was going to throw it back to me. Well, um, I catch the ball, get hit immediately as I'm throwing to Kobe. It's an arid throw. He dives to go get it, breaks his hand. Oh, okay, gosh. and then obviously we know what happened later in the game. So uh, yeah, Kobe, who broke his hand, didn't get that taken care of until three or four days after it had surgery on his leg. Oh. And he wakes up and he's got a cast on his arm. He's like, "What happened?" They're like, "Oh, we noticed you had a broken wrist." <laughs> so yeah, that was the other time I was going to get a reception. That is insane. Yeah. So you broke Kobe Kelly's hand essentially. Oh, I did. I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah, that's. I'm sure I, I wouldn't show up for the, the 5 a.m. workouts either after that happened. I think he probably owes you a few more of those not right. showing up. Uh, and then, of course, finally, 336 career interceptions, most ever in NFL history. Um, I think we're back on track. Yeah, you, know, you picked two great stats there <laughs> where I could compare to Brett, so I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, all right, we're done with the Brett Favre comparison. I say at the, at the very least, if we're talking toughness, being on the field, finding a way to win some games, finding a way to have some big performances when you need them. I'd say there's some similarities there. Uh, you know, I, I'll take that. All I, right. I appreciate All that. Right. You don't have to back it up. Kind because words. Know, because when you, when you get a compliment, I know it makes you violently uncomfortable. So you don't have it, to agree with yeah, it. Yeah, I, I got to work on that. <laughs> got to improve on that. Yeah. Um, why are people so down on Wofford this year? You know, you and me have talked about a couple times off air about Wofford, and I've talked with others about them around the conference, and I don't know if it's just that first game against South Carolina State, who, by the way, 
is number 27 in the poll this week, number two in receiving votes. They're having a much better year than people would have anticipated. And then Samford, the 21-14 game, they had like a 12, 15, 17 play drive, something like that at the end Mm -hmm. where they drove down the field. It was like a 10, 11-minute drive, couldn't punch it in, which I think maybe some people are saying, well, that's the difference this year from last year. Wofford always found a way in years previous. They haven't found a way in those first two games. The first game, they seem like they've gone away from some of their game plan of what Josh Conklin was trying to throw the ball more. I know they're a quarterback who is not Joe Newman, more of a thrower, uh, not necessarily a pocket guy, quote-unquote, but more of the thrower between the two has not really played since that first game. Uh, Joe Newman's taken more of the reps. They've only thrown it eight, eight, and seven times, I believe, since throwing it 23 times in that first game. Are your takes and other people's takes and perhaps even my takes at some points, uh, Jay Sandoz kind of agrees that Wofford is not uh, anything this year that they've been in the past, are those all based off the first week and are people starting to come around with a couple good offensive performances though granted the level of competition has slipped a little bit since those that first game certainly and Sanford looked better than uh, they did at least coming into the year anyway point being why do people have those takes still if they do or do you think opinions are starting to change based off these last two games um, you know I, I don't know about that about if they've changed in the past few games I do know that at least my opinion on this would be Coach Coach Ayers had Wofford rolling for such a long time, and you know you have a change, and and now you're starting to see the differences. Um, and you know each coach is different; each coach values certain things. And uh, you know if you're a coach somewhere for a long enough time, your position group, or if you're the head coach, the the whole team kind of takes on your personality and your qualities, and and that's what you want. So I I think this isn't necessarily you know, a, a down Wofford team or anything like that. It's just a different team. And so I think people have to get used to that. I certainly believe that, um, much like us, some of their key players left last year due to graduation. I know Miles Brown um, was one of the best football players I ever played against. And for them to lose him up front is huge. Plus they got two injuries up front and Thad Mangum and I believe it's uh, Michael Horton. Right, right. And so – Losing those guys and those guys being hurt it doesn't help. Uh, they lost uh, JoJo Tillery on the back end, and he he ended up you know playing with the Titans for a little bit. So they had some really dynamic players, um, a really good senior class last year, and you know they're still trying to develop uh, experience and chemistry with with their guys just like we are. And so um, this Wofford team is a dangerous team to me because they're going to continue to get better as the season goes along. Uh, and those are the teams that that end up, you know, making runs at the end of the year and end up uh, finding themselves in the, you know, conference championship talks. And that's what we're hoping to do as well. So, um, you know, I can understand, uh, you know, looking at the scores and looking at uh, the results from their games and saying maybe this isn't the same Wofford team. But, um, you know, I, I, when, when you turn on the film, you certainly see still they're very disciplined. Um, you know they know what to do. They line up well, um, and you're going to have to, you know, really go out there and play a good game uh, in order to have a chance to beat those guys. I'm going to go in through the rest of ETSU's schedule, and you tell me if it is or is not a one-score game because it just seems like every game ETSU is going to play, at least in the conference, is going to be separated by eight or less. It seems to me, at least. This week against Wofford, I don't see there's any possible way that's not a one-score game. Either way, I don't know who's going to win, but I think uh, one way or another, it's a yeah, one-score game. You would hope so, yes. At Chattanooga, 
I think that's got another good chance. Another one, yeah. Uh, you go to Sanford, and if you think, oh, well, Sanford, if they beat Furman this week, you know, are they the favorite in the league? Well, okay, maybe, but they beat Wofford by one score and then beat Citadel in four overtimes by one score last week. Right, yeah. I mean, you, they have such a – no matter who's playing quarterback there, they're going to they're gonna put up points and put up yards. So that's, all, that's always a, a scary game. But, you know, I, I think that, that we should be able to move the ball pretty good with – with what we do on offense. Home to the Citadel. 17-13 slugfest to me, again, one way or another. 100%. That's just how they play. It's, you know, with, with the option and their attack on the ground, you're not going to get many chances offensively to put up points. And so, um, you know, you got to take advantage of that. And you know, the Citadel, who did they beat? Or they beat Georgia Tech. Yep. So, I mean. That, by, that's, by a score, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, still, that, that's, a, that's a huge victory. Absolutely. That would be a tough game. Yeah, just to illustrate the point of one score games, it seems like every team in the SOCON is either a score up or a score down at the end of the day. At Western, I think that has a chance for, on ETSU's side should Tyree Adams, uh, he's just kind of in flux there right now, and he's obviously the thing that makes them go consistently that to me skews ETSU by perhaps more than a score, but going on the road's always tough. Right, uh, I can attest to this. Playing in Colby is is not easy. Um, just something about going over there that same day and you know going to play Western Carolina. It, it's a tough place to play, and um, historically, I, I don't think we've done very well over there. So um, you know, with that and. And Western's going to be really, they've got a lot on the line those last few weeks. You know, they, they didn't get off to the best start and they didn't end last year well. So I'm sure this offseason has been um, focused on finishing the year and things like that. And they've certainly got us circled after what happened last year. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, that that's going to be a tight one, too. Passing game was ugly for Western against Chattanooga. 12 of 23 combined were Tyree Adams and Will Jones. Adams in there for 15 attempts, Jones for eight. So, again, it looks like they're trying to work him back in after that two-game suspension, but you just never know with a situation like that and a performance like that as well. He's been off the field for a while, and so I'm sure it'll take him a little bit of time to get back to his dynamic self, but, again, just a influx type of thing. Uh, home against Mercer, again, I think that probably skews more ETSU's way, uh, but there's been tight games there in the past, too. An overtime winner, I believe that was 2017 when you threw to Juwan Stinson in the right. first play overtime. Right, yeah. No, I mean, that... We always play. That's always a close game. Right. Um, and, you know, we're both kind of similar in the sense we started football recently. And so I, I think that's a that's a game where they match up well with us. And, you know, I, it, it's just a, a really interesting game. So And, and like kind of like Western, they're going to be playing for a lot there too um, towards the end of the season. So um, I'm t- the SOCON, you know, I, I don't know that it's as top-heavy as it's been in years past. Um, with some teams that really have a chance to push for a national title. Um, but I think you know, there's a lot of parity in this league, and anybody can beat anyone. So, And you saw that with VMI. You know, VMI, that's a tough loss for us early on, but uh, the, they'll win another game this year for sure in the oh, conference yeah. that, that people are going to be like, man, that's, that VMI team wasn't the VMI team of years past. And then at Vanderbilt, obviously, a blowout win for ETSU. So I'm looking at, until Vanderbilt, probably one-score games. Right. Well, I mean, you've got Austin Gatewood at Vanderbilt, so yeah, he'll Austin, m- listen to that blowout yeah. win for the Bucks bulletin board material. Well, well, he'll find a way to mess something up. You know, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But, but yeah, that'll be that'll be a fun one, and I, I know a lot of our guys are looking forward to that game and, and playing in that type of environment. We're gonna go to four downs uh, with Jay Sandoz coming back on the show here in our next segment. Are you much of a movie guy? 
Yeah, I like movies. Yes, I'm not. I mean, you're, you're probably gonna pull up some obscure reference. No, is what no, I'm expecting. What do you mean obscure reference? What are you talking about? Well, the quality control song. You know, I mean, that's that's pretty obscure. That was pretty obscure. Well, Jurassic Five was pretty popular. Anyway, point yeah. being, <laughs> the Joker just came out. The Joker movie. I want to see Fe- that. Okay, yes. so do I. And it's gonna be a movie themed four downs based off of the Joker movie with Joaquin Phoenix. Some are saying that this is like the best singular performance in like the history of film, or at least within the superhero slash supervillain genre. Right. Now, I'm definitely looking forward to it. It looks like from the trailers and all of that, it's going to be incredible. And obviously the last movie that had the Joker with Heath Ledger and all that, just an incredible movie. So uh, I I think, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Pump for that. Pump for Saturday, 3.30, Wofford, William B. Green Jr. Stadium. Good luck. Appreciate it. Go Bucks. Austin Herrick, quality control, the offensive quality control coach for ETSU, former quarterback, soon to be Hall of Famer. And I think that's how we're, what we got to change the bumper to is uh, we got to get some pictures of the statue with you. Put that up instead of our usual show picture on Sandos and the Sidekick SoundCloud, where you can find our show every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Instead of our usual logo for the show, get a couple pictures of you Friday. That'll be the picture. And we'll do soon to be Hall of Famer rather than soon to be uh, whatever it was. I don't even remember. That's how important the award was. You didn't win it, so it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a good spin zone. We'll talk to you next Friday. All right, see you then. Back with four downs. Jay Sandos rejoins after this on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash. Only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four now. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four now. Four now. Four now. Four. 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 Four now. Oh, four downs. It took about a week hiatus. It is back. And what is the theme today? Well, we talked about it with Austin Herrick, and uh, he gave a couple of his movie-related takes right before our break. Uh, it is movie-related because I'm very excited for a movie that just came out this week, Joker. Are you much into superhero-type thriller movies like that? Have you watched any of the new Batmans, anything like that? I have not. Okay. That's okay. Uh, Austin was big into him. I'm, I'm big into him. And so this... I guess inspired this whole conversation of sports movies, and we've mm-hmm. got four downs of them. The best two downs are third and fourth, I think, but it just starts with a basic first down. First down. Favorite sports movie? Of all time? Of all time. I've got two. Do you want me to start? Because I don't tend yes, to give you these give me questions half ahead of time. Remember the Titans for me, because I'm a big Denzel guy. Uh, it's a absolute classic. Um, it is not, I guess, your typical. There's some criticism that could be had, you know, Disney, frou-frou, whatever. Um, it's not your hard-hitting sports movie, but it's the inspirational motivator. Denzel's brilliant in it, which I love. Um, the the obvious circumstantial societal things around the entire movie with uh, the integration of schools and things of, of that like in the movie and, and people coming together in a tough time. You know, you got to love that. And my other one, Cinderella Man. Uh, which is uh, basically about, and I can't remember the boxer's name now. It shows how long it's been since I've watched the movie, but it was about a boxer during the Great Depression 
was on his way to the top, right, and had a lot of his money in the stock market when he was winning a bunch of big fights and uh, fell upon some injuries, stock market crashed, lost all his money, and all of a sudden he's living in the slums after living the high life in what I believe was New York. I think that's where the movie was set. Um, but then he comes back after the Depression hits him. He's working on the docks for, like, you know, pennies an hour, basically. Has to go to the Boxing Commission, who stripped him of his license because he was injured, couldn't put on a show, was working in front of, like, 30, 40 people in boxing, and they were booing him, booing him right out of the ring. There were no contests and things like that. Anyway, point being, comes back, wins the heavyweight title against Max Bear. I remember the villain. I don't remember the... Uh, Jimmy, God, I can't even. I can't believe I don't remember it. But anyway, Cinderella Man's number two or one A. Okay, um, if you're talking about like a drama or something, then I'm uh, any Rocky. I'm pretty much in on all Rockies. All of them. Yeah. Uh, well, Rocky one through four, five, five. Okay, uh, we don't need to have another Rocky inspired conversation because I right. take you to task. But okay. Yeah, uh, big big Rocky guy. Field of Dreams was a solid one, but I'm also it's grew up a more. Just my dad and everybody like comedies, like lightheartedness. So, Major League, Necessary Roughness, Sandlot, all those sort of silly ones were were also a fan favorite of mine as well. James J. Braddock from Cinderella Man. I'm sorry to the late James Miracle J. and Ice. Guy. Also, I don't want to. Yeah. Miracle is very solid, good. Herb solid. Brooks, Minnesota Connection, very good. Second down. Least favorite sports movie. Le- oh, oh, the replacements! <laughs> I got that off the bat. I love you the got replacements that one right away. was so, and I like comp- that one. Huh? Yeah, but I like slaps. Just it was a little. I don't know what it was. It was something about that. Right, not a huge fan of that. And then what was the? Uh, even though they had the kid, it was with the Cubs. It had the arm injury. Oh, little uh, big rookie league of the year? rookie of the year. Oh yeah, or, or was it the rookie? The uh, rookie's the good one, right? And rookie of the year. Yeah, the rookie. There's that one. Uh, I didn't. I didn't particularly like that one either. Um, yeah, those two right <laughs> off the bat. I just. I, you know. I mean. Let me give you a top five. I just quickly googled from the Sporting News the five worst sports movies of all time. Number five, Joanna Man. No, oh, yeah, that, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> Rocky Five is number four. Actually, yeah, that was bad too. Caddyshack Two. I never saw the second. Yeah, one. no, that was bad. Okay. That was uh, a bad one. Air Buds Seventh Inning Fetch. <laughs> any any of the Air Buds. So that was going to be my answer. Was. Any of the Air Buds are my least favorite. Totally agree. And then number one, Ed, which I've never monkey, even heard right? of. Joey from Friends plays a character named Deuce who befriends a baseball playing chimpanzee. Oh, well, chimpanzee. About all I said really monkey. Know. I was close. That's yeah, yeah. I, I sort of kind of remember that. Yeah. Uh, yes, those are all bad. Third down. Oh, this I got is... one more. I got one more. Okay. one more. Did you ever see the one with Mickey Rourke or the wrestler? Where, uh, oh, that I was... liked that Really? I, I thought I wouldn't hang myself towards the end of it. It well, was so brutal. it was very God, depressing. Brutal. I think that brutal. was the idea. Oh, though. so brutal. All right, Third down. Uh, this is where, to me, it gets good. Those first two were kind of basic, but uh, the best use of a commonly overused sports movie scene, and this is what I'll try and clear up a little bit here. There's a number of them that I found. Thank you to Bleacher Report for providing this, but I think this is brilliant. Uh when I say overused, the kind of cliche in sports movies, the training montage, mm. the inspirational speech, the last second victory, the lovable underdogs, the hard edged coach with a soft heart. That's a classic. And the comeback. Those are the six you get to choose from. What's your favorite? What's your least favorite of those six? I, I'm a, I like inspirational speeches, so I, I'm a fan of the inspirational speech. And there's not a lot of great ones in movies. I don't no, like, I mean, which is sad because you can write Right, you, you kind of do whatever, but um, I think the other one. So the one I don't like, um, 
the trading montage is so corny. Yeah, because they're just it. yeah. I was trying to think if there was another one that trumped it because I also <laughs> my my next favorite would, would would be the the you know like the drunk coach that's oh, just yeah like I so love bad. love those you love, love those. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton and like the new Bad News Bears where he's just drunk and he's I think maybe Santa on the side or whatever yeah. but he also shows yeah. up and coaches the kids yeah he probably sells a uh, maps to the stars or whatever sure yeah, yeah I don't know what that means but okay yeah I mean yeah the lovable underdogs uh, the last second victory is so ridiculous it never. Okay, it plays out that way once in a while in real life. But the fact that every movie has to have the last second victory. And remember, the Titans is guilty of it. And so is Cinderella, man. It's like the 15th round. and he, co- he In fact, the clip on the website for Bleacher Report of the comeback is Cinderella, man, where he's about to get knocked So your two 14. favorite movies have the they thing you hate the most. They hate the They're not perfect. I'm not saying they're okay. perfect. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I can't stand uh, the drunk coach. Or what was the other one? What yeah, was uh, in re- uh, so remember the Titans? Uh, was it Hayden uh, uh, Penitieri? Yeah. So I do want my daughter to be like that, though. The sports nut. So I'll, I'll give you that. I did, I did, yeah, she was actually I think my favorite character in the movie. Goes to Denzel's house and like, why don't you go yep. play with dolls or whatever? Yeah, yeah I don't want to do that. Yeah, dolls. Yeah, I love yeah, it. Yeah, oh, sure. yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, fourth point. down. Uh, Got to go to Lights Camera Pod on Twitter for this one, and it is just incredible what we've found uh lights camera pod is basically the movie podcast for uh barstool um not big on barstool but this is pretty good favorite movie candy by state based on social media at walmart and target so let's quantify it by that i'm not sure this is a very scientific study that barstool has done i know everyone's shocked about that that it's not very scientific coming from barstool but i'm going to name you a few of the and again take it with a grain of salt i'm sure there's some hyperbole here but North Dakota, favorite movie candy by state, baked beans. Mm-hmm. Missouri, Sour Pass Kids. I think they just forgot the, the C there. Raisinets in Oklahoma, which is just deplorable. Kraft Cheese Slices in Wisconsin. Uh, so there's clearly... Is, is, is Minnesota tapioca pudding? <laughs> it's tapioca pudding. Almond Joy, though, which I think is kind of interesting. I'm surprised they didn't say, like, hot dish or something like that. Yeah. If they're going completely okay. over the edge sure. by just making this a complete joke, that's probably what they should have done. But uh, there seems to be some states that are serious and some that aren't. I've never heard a bunch of crunch. What is that? Do you know that? In Montana? Montana yeah, I, I have it. It's, uh, so it's basically like a cluster of... Uh, nuts and uh, almonds and and granola and then it's stuck together by like honey so my favorite part of this is this has like 500 comments and got a ton of attention on twitter people taking it very very seriously once again i think that there's it did its job is exactly what it did here yeah it was (laughs) okay there was obviously a, a little bit of a throw the fish line in the water and reel some people in what's your favorite movie candy so is it baked beans well number one i have to have popcorn it's humanly impossible Really? Yeah, I cannot go to any movie without popcorn. And then I like to add Reese cups oh, with the popcorn. Okay, Do you, with butter or no butter? Just the now, Reese's I, cups. I, as I've gotten older, I'm a no butter guy. Okay, but when, in my earlier, younger days, for whatever reason, I was much more uh, like douse it with the butter. Like, just keep going, buddy. Like, don't, don't don't skimp on the butter. Like, it comes out of the bag, butter. So I know there are some that enjoy the M and M's mixed in with the popcorn. I've never heard of the Reese's cups mixed in though. Yeah, big. Big mix there, and that was by accident uh, that I discovered that I enjoyed as a kid, and still to this day, I always get popcorn. I, my family is guilty because my my dad and mom uh, were such moviegoers; they would go like six times a week. Like wow. it, was, it was incredible. That if they rented movies, dad would stop at the theater, and because everyone knew him, he didn't have to buy a ticket. He would walk in and go buy a big tub of popcorn, and then take that home, and we would eat the actual movie theater popcorn. 
at home okay. to watch Renan movies. Wow. That's how much a psychopath he was. That is uh, very dedicated. Shout Good out to Dad who listens series. to the podcast, by the way. So. Uh, shout out to Dad for yeah. sure. Uh, Reese's Pieces is the number one favorite in New Mexico and Washington. What are wax bottles? They put that for Hawaii and Alaska. <laughs> The, those are the weird, like it has like fluid and it looks like a little Coke bottle or a little bottle and it's just got... You eat it? Yeah. You bite the top off of it and then you uh, drink the juice then you eat the, the thing. I think I most resonate with Washington, D.C. I love cookie dough. Cookie dough bites. Mm, I like oh, cookie dough bites. I don't usually get popcorn or any candy if I go to the theater, which has been like three yeah, or four and so years since I have. Tennessee is... Oh, Tennessee is Tootsie Rolls. I'm fine with that. They're okay. They're too like, sticky. Stick to I, my I teeth. I like Tootsie Rolls. Anyway. Four downs. All right, four down. First, there you first, have it. Well, third, set, fourth down. Yeah, I enjoyed that. A little bit from the norm. Uh, do you think Randy Sanders would have voted for steak, gravy, and bacon? <laughs> Our next coach's show, which apparently I'll be hosting because you're going to be out of town, we will have a conversation about that. Better believe well, there's going to be some off-the-radar topics. I, I also want you to start a segment that I'm going to continue over the next uh, four weeks with okay. him uh, called uh, Being Single Randy. And uh, since he's uh, yeah, the good. wife's gone, so we'll. So the segment I've got planned can feed perfectly into okay. that. Okay, so here we brilliant. go. That's All right, brilliant. here we go. All right. We're dancing, didn't even know it. All right, what's up, side for a time? When we come back, very bad, bold predictions after this. Timeout for Sandra Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandoz live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. on the Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. You know what I think is ironic about bold predictions last week? So you probably had some of the worst bold predictions in your bold predicting career. You said, Which is bold to say. You said on the podcast last week that you were actually prepared for one. So clearly, after stating that and doing what you did, picking Trey Mitchell, and we love the guy, but picking him for two career highs, that did not hit. VMI over Wofford, they were down 35-10 to 10 after like 20 minutes of the game, and then Mississippi State getting destroyed by Auburn by 33. It is just better to wing it for you. Uh, I think that's what we have to take yeah. away from this, yeah? Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Bold predictions. I am 2 and 9. You are 1 and 10. I did get one last week. It was 370 total yards or less for Furman, 268 for the Paladins. Much chronicled on this podcast and on the field last week, though ETSU did lose 17 to 10. You got bold predictions this week? I mean, I, I think I have to, right? It's part of the deal and what we do. I'm just curious if you have some right now or if you need me to talk so you can come up with some. Oh, every, oh, yes. Yes, yes. Let's do okay, that. I'll talk. Uh, I'm predicting the exact score <laughs> okay. of the ETSU okay. and Wofford game. Now, stick with me here because there's uh-huh. some reasoning. There was a six-point win against Austin P earlier this year. Austin P was in the receiving votes category. 
of the FCS stats national poll, top 25. That was a 20 to 14 win. Every game ETSU plays, and we went over this with Austin Herrick a bit earlier, it seems like it's going to be one score until the end of the year when the Bucks absolutely obliterate Vanderbilt. And Tyler Keltner, 5 of 6 in field goals, seems like he's due for a little bit of a coming out party. He's had good days, but I think that his worth is really proven this game. So I'm saying 19 to 13 ETSU with the victory. And I'm tempted to give myself like a million points if I get this right. But it will just be for one. The exact score of the Bucks and Wofford, I mean, 19 to 13. I vote we give you three. Okay. Absolutely. I, as long as you're on board with it, I'm going to go ahead and mark it down for three. Uh, if it happens, you will be pretty impressed, correct? That's the type of game that it's going uh, yes. to be, though, right? I mean, that's yes. the type of game it's going to be. It's going to be clearly, probably below 20. If you nailed that exactly 19-13, yes. You, you clearly knew something going in that it, nobody else did. Another six-point game. Wofford also receiving votes just like Austin P was when they played them. So I think there's a lot of similarities here, and I think ETSU doesn't have to get it done. Okay. I was going to go with 250 yards rushing. For the Bucks. For the Bucks. Well, yeah. Probably should have clarified that, but yes, I think 250 yards rushing for ETSU is a bit bold considering the last several years. I think it's only happened one time that Wofford has done it in three years, so I'm going with... Uh, that Wofford's done in three years? That Wofford has given up. That oh, Wofford's gotcha. okay, gi- okay, Sorry, okay. Wofford has given up in three years. So I'm going to go 250 yards on the ground for your Buccaneers. That's good for me because I think I still have Quay Holmes rushing for 1,500 yards this year, and he needs to pick it up just a bit. If he has like a 200-yard day and Jacob Saylor's mixes in 60 or 70, that's good for both of our bold predictions and my long-term bold prediction. Um, I'm seeing three of the four division series in Major League Baseball are going to be sweeps. Is that mm. bold? Do you think that's bold, three of the four? I was almost going to go four of the four, but I'm kind of confused about Cardinals-Braves. Uh, yeah, I think three of the five. Uh, uh, yes. Do I, think, I have to I name think that's bold. who sweeps? I, I think I know who's going to, but if I happen to well, walk Well, you clearly don't think way. the Braves-Cardinals are, right? Well, that's the one that I don't think is going to be a sweep. Okay. I think the Astros, Yankees, and Dodgers, and it's sad just, to say the Yankees just go to the Twins. Just go to Pound Town and just take care of all three. Right? Unfortunately, I just I know the Twins against the Yankees in the postseason. It's been over 5,000 days since they've beaten the Yankees in the postseason. They're 2-12 and 12 in their last 14 against the Yankees in the postseason. And the Dodgers, to me, have been the best team in baseball the entire year. And the Rays versus the Astros, I mean, that pitching staff for the Astros is just going to be too much to handle. So I think those three, Astros, Yankees, Dodgers, and people listening in Minnesota, please forgive me on the Twins. I know everyone's positive. I know everyone's into it. And this team looks legit as legit can be. Maybe the best team since I've been alive, or at least since 1991, that the Twins have had. But it's the Yankees. And I can't go all in until I see them stop the Bronx Bombers. And if they do, I will happily be wrong. Three of the four division series will be sweeps. Are are you somehow using reverse psychology on the team you pull for? I will not say that out loud because that would ruin the reverse psychology. (laughs) Okay. I like it. All right. Um, Tell you what, I'm trying to go back and forth. I almost went with the the staple. BMI. Yeah, I almost went with it because, you know, I'm lazy. That's you. I'm lazy, and I like losing. So I'm just going to always go with – BMI, but I think I'm going to go with Mercer to bounce back uh, after looking really horrendous last week. And I watched really all of that game uh, against Campbell, uh, mainly because Robert Harper, sideline uh, reporter, was the first uh, play-by-play guy for Campbell when they uh, had football uh, and started football back. So, and you're looking uh, to make fun of him, obviously. Yeah, uh, and I hate Chattanooga. So if you add all of that in, and considering Chattanooga is a pretty good favorite on the road, what I'm going to Mercer. Do we know? Um, yes, we do. Give me one second. Um, 
Uh, oh, sorry. I was looking at the wrong game. Chad is only one and a half favorite, so yeah, I may, no, that may not qualify. No, may not qualify. qualify. Let me go to my third and then you yep, can come up Yeah, it didn't qualify. Uh, multiple fourth down attempts from the New England Patriots this week. So it's not your typical winner loser, but you may have heard and seen, I'm sure you have, that Steven Goskowski is out for the year. Now, in what may reappear on Pros vs. Jays this Monday, Stephen A. Smith said it's going to cost them the Super Bowl. I thought that was a touch bold itself. I am saying that even though the Mike Nugent signing has happened, Mike Nugent probably the greatest collegiate field goal kicker in the history of college at, I think it was Ohio State, if I remember right. Yes, he was. He's the signee, hasn't had the same type of pro career that he did, college career, but relatively reliable from time to time. Um, I don't think reliable enough to instill confidence in Bill Belichick. I think that despite not attempting a fourth down all year, despite not having gone for it, more than 15 times in a season since 2009. I think losing one of the best kickers in the history of football, and you can go look at the stats, it is absolutely one of the best field goal kickers in the history of football with Steven Goskowski. I think that Bill Belichick says, I'm not having some guy just come in who I'm not 100% confident, 100% believe in, and ruining what so far is a perfect season. Multiple fourth down attempts, I'm not saying conversions, but multiple fourth down attempts on the road against Washington the way this one could go bad for me is if the Patriots are up by like three touchdowns by the end of the first quarter, which is possible because Washington, I believe, is starting Dwayne Haskins this week. And Oof. he was not very good when he took over for Case Keenum last week. Yeah, but, I mean, it's always the thing. They didn't game plan for him. They'll change some things, try to get him uh, a little better suited. All right, I'm going to go with a 1AA uh, FCS upset. Your Villanova Wildcats will lose to good old Bill and Mary. Wow. William and Mary at home, plus ten. Mm. To believe Only the Wildcats, really. William and Mary, kind of interesting. Going for the upset there. That more. I thought you were going to go Illinois State for a second. No, no, I don't feel confident in that. No. Matter, matter of fact, you, maybe I thought you cut the tape out where I said everything, the opposite of that, where they were going to win by like a thousand. North yeah. Dakota State or well, something. I thought you might contradict yourself like I often do in this podcast. Eh, that, that that happens quite a bit. Uh, and then the only other uh, game I could come up with that's an actual game that would be uh, qualifying for mine and your rules for upset is going to be Colorado State at home, eight-point underdogs to San Diego State, who's had one of the most up-and-down years of any team in the country so far, and I think Colorado State uh, gets it done. So those are going to be my three bold predictions. Boy, those are some really lackluster bold predictions this week from you. Except for the ETSU one. I'd love 250-plus yards. But okay. You went to William & Mary against Villanova and Colorado State against South Dakota State. Yeah. First of all, I don't know how you're not a Bill & Mary fan. They're just up the road like five hours. You're fine. Are they really? I yeah. It's in Virginia. Could not tell, it could have been in Saskatchewan. I would have had no idea. Okay. Good talk. Good show. I mean, I almost, almost went Redskins. You love picking against your teams. It is the strangest thing I've seen in my entire life. Love it. You wanted to pick against Michigan when they played Wisconsin, which for whatever reason you didn't. Yeah, I know. And I was going to have them getting. Uh, uh, I was going to have them getting beat by a couple of touchdowns, which clearly I would have plenty of room you to spare. Been right on target, exactly. <laughs> plenty of room to spare. Uh, next uh. week, I think we do Tuesday Thursday show. What do you think? We got SoCon Media Day in Asheville mm. for basketball mm. Monday. No football game next week. We can still recap the football game on Tuesday and then Thursday do some basketball. Your thoughts? And Tuesday do some basketball. No, I'm fine with that okay, because Monday will be on the road. Tuesday Thursday. Tuesday, Thursday podcast on the bye week. Then we'll be back the following week for the full Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, because Friday we'll recap the game against Chattanooga. And then we'll have a little fun. Fun Friday. What do you think of that? Tandem sidekick. Back at it. Sports Network. See ya.